0: Our series is tracking along with the covenant promises that God has made with his people, and this covenant renewal that the people of Israel are making in our text today, in Joshua 24, is a step towards rebuilding, renewing from what has been a catastrophic covenant failure on their part. In the narrative that we've skipped over since last week, you know, in order to arrive in Joshua twenty-four today, Israel failed. In the covenant, not just on their part of the covenant, but they also distrusted God for God's part in the covenant. In the wilderness of Sinai, they did not trust in God to enter the land that he had promised he would give them. And for that lack of faith, they were left in the wilderness for 40 more years instead. But entering the land had been God's running promise to them since Since he first called out Abram, actually, back in Genesis 15, and that's about 450 years before the Israelites then doubted him on that promise in the desert. And for distrusting God over his part of the agreement, none of that generation entered the promised land, but only their children, who by 40 years later had grown up and had more children, and but two faithful men of the original generation who had trusted God, Caleb and Joshua. Anyway, that's what we've missed. You can follow up on that if you like, and particularly to catch that part of the narrative in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. Israel distrusted God. And so I think Joshua 24, where we've opened today, this is good, this section here, because, because a covenant renewal is needed. This new generation who are now in the promised land They should renew this covenant. They should commit themselves to being faithful on their part of the covenant with God. But also, and and more fundamentally, they should commit to trusting in God's faithfulness to keep his end of the covenant. Because, yes, they've they've received the land as promised, but, but so too God has made other promises. If you recall our series, he's promised to make them a nation of priests, a holy nation, to bless all the other nations through this nation. They need to come with God on those things, but so too they need to trust God that he will do those things that he's promised. And so we're in a covenant renewal here at Shechem in Joshua 24 and God sets the context for it by recapping some of the key points of that history in the unfolding covenant movement that he's been working all this time. Let's listen to God set the scene in verse 2 in terms of what he has so faithfully done. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. This God's reminder of his faithfulness to Abraham that we stopped in with a couple of weeks back in our series And then from Egypt, God says in verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. And even though now today we've skipped right to the end of this book of Joshua, the earlier chapters, uh, if you want to read them later, they're condensed down for us here by God anyway in verses 8 through 13. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand." And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow." I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. All of God's work has been unfolding all these years. And through all these things, God has now given Israel this land, just as he promised in his covenant with Abram as he says in verse 3, all those long years ago. God graciously promised this. God powerfully rescued them when called upon and God has now granted the inheritance. It has been God. It has been God. It has been God. There hasn't actually been that much faithfulness from the human part of the covenant as we've seen a couple of times in this series and yet there is no question as to the faithfulness of God. The premise, therefore, of this covenant renewal that's happening now within the promised land is is quite simple. Yahweh, the Lord, did all of this for Israel. As he says in verse 13, he gave these people the land that they're now living in. So it is Yahweh the Lord whom they should follow. As Joshua now takes over the speech in verse 14 and urges them, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. There's a figurative theme of crossing over in that narrative history that God just gave them. Verses 2 and 3, look again. Their forefathers used to live beyond the Euphrates River. But God took Abraham from beyond the river and brought him over this side of the river and into the land of Canaan. And that river crossing pairs with a theological crossing. Abraham now worships God, Yahweh, the Lord. Verse 14, their forefathers had served other gods when they were beyond the river. But God brought Abraham over to him. And their fathers again then had served other gods in Egypt too, verse 14 says. They served other gods in Egypt. But again God brought them back over to himself as he brought them across the Red Sea, verses 6 and 7. Now God has taken these people over the Jordan River, verse 11, and into the Promised Land. And the question is, having been brought across the waters again, will they now stay on board with God? Or will they cross back over the wrong side, theologically speaking, and, and worship the gods of the people of this region? Joshua puts it to them in verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, For he is our God. So it's pretty straightforward. The God who did all this and gave you all this, Joshua says, is is Yahweh, the Lord. Of course then, the people agree, we will worship Yahweh. I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? But Joshua then warns the people. And perhaps because he knows them and and what these people are like, or perhaps because he still remembers and knows too painfully the faithlessness of that past generation who died in the wilderness, or perhaps because he just knows the faithlessness of the human heart generally. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. The first two commandments are captured in Joshua's warning there, straight out of the Ten Commandments in in that Sinai covenant we glanced at briefly last week in, in Exodus 20. If you recall, the first two commandments, You shall have no other gods before me, Yahweh says. Joshua again here is warning the people. They must not follow after other gods. And hence, they must choose one way or the other way. Either they follow Yahweh or they follow other gods. They cannot do both. And they're not going to find any forgiveness or mercy or love or provision from other gods but nor will there be from Yahweh, the true God, if they won't even have him as their God. The choice in front of them is binary and and black or white and, and the warning is severe. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good all this time. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And so the choice has been made clear, and the people agree. And Joshua therefore starts to bring this into a formal framework, saying to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he charges them with the thing that therefore must now be done. He said, put away then the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. And So with Yahweh confirmed as their one and only God, Joshua seals this pledge of a covenant renewal by the people and for the people. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And things are looking good. If we drop down to verse 31, we see that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the works that the Lord did for Israel. But you may not be surprised, I think, by this point in our series to discover that the next thing that we read is of all of this falling apart. Because if we were to turn one more page we would hit the book of Judges. Judges, which is an account of the next 400 or so years during which Israel kept abandoning Yahweh and pursuing other gods. Judges chapter 2 will set that scene for you if you want to just flick there and glance at it quickly, because Judges 2 is kind of like a summary of that next stage of history and, and the rest of the book. And it's a cycle of sin and restoration that wound around and around, but got worse and worse each time for those 400 odd years uh, that followed after Joshua chapter 2 describes the cycle from verse 11 and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Just as the Lord had warned, just as Joshua had just warned them as well in Joshua 24. But still, if we keep reading there in Judges chapter 2, God was merciful. Judges 2.16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And so the cycle continued, to cut a long, painful story even shorter. Every time God delivered his people, they praised the Lord, but no sooner life carried on again, and they forgot about him and chased after other gods. Precisely as Joshua had warned them back in our text today in Joshua twenty four twenty, so the reality mapped out in that ongoing cycle. Yahweh is their God, but, but the Israelites kept abandoning him and they kept turning from him and forgetting him and pursuing false gods like all the other people around them. And the cycle still goes on, if we fast forward, say, another few thousand years or so to today. I mean, the one true God has blessed people. But those self-same people are fickle and forgetful and their hearts are prone to wander. Our world today is, is very much still full of other gods, Some named and obvious to us, and others just sort of hiding in the undertow of life. And at times we fail to even see these other gods around us, and much less the snare that they set for us. People today still waver in their faithfulness to God, and end up pursuing other gods. So so to guard against this, this faithlessness that we see in these scriptures we're just reading through today, we need, we need to probe this a little bit and ask some serious questions. I mean, why does the default programming of the human heart seem to be set to drift mode, to turning and, and abandoning God? Why are people so easily taken in by the gods of the world? Why at times are we so unfaithful? And I'll let you explore and examine and wrestle with those questions for your own life through the week. But to start getting at the answer, I want to suggest today from these scriptures that we need to realize that this question uh, is not just a matter of our unfaithfulness. I mean, that's certainly one thing, of course. That's the very thing we're questioning and asking and probing, our unfaithfulness. But the issue of our unfaithfulness actually goes deeper. Because underneath our unfaithfulness is actually that we've either forgotten or called into question even the matter of God's faithfulness really what's going on in the narrative that we've been working through that the commandments one and two and and the warning that joshua gives and the cycle of chaos that ends up running through the time of the judges people weren't just being unfaithful on their side of the covenant relationship with god they were forgetting or doubting that god would be faithful on his side The very reason that Moses' generation were left in the wilderness for those 40 years? Because they forgot what God had faithfully done and doubted that he would be faithful again. And so on and so on from Adam through to us, really. our, Our pursuit of other gods is not just sinful by way of our unfaithfulness, But it's all the more sinful because of what we are subconsciously or maybe consciously saying about God. When we are unfaithful to God, we are at some level branding God with that same shameful nature that we are showing. When we are unfaithful, we treat God as if he is unfaithful, as if he is not good, as if he will not do everything he promised for us. Even though he consistently shows us He's nothing like us on this question. He is faithful. He is good. He will do all he promised. And so I think we must learn from this history at at, at the changeover of Joshua and Judges in our scriptures. First up, as a most basic premise of our God, that God, in fact, gives us in Joshua 24. (laughs) He is most certainly faithful. He is good. He is trustworthy. We can trust God with everything he has said he will do. God is most certainly faithful. And from that solid truth, as as it more and more sinks in to our thinking, we will naturally then come ourselves into a deep sense of faithfulness In our life, the more we know and the more we reflect on and the more we meditate on and remember God's faithfulness, the more faithful we will become to him. Because we will know that our hope is certain. The two things go hand in hand. And God and Joshua here in this chapter set them together. And so we ought to be cognizant of the fact that on the flip side of that, The devil wants us to forget God's faithfulness or doubt God's faithfulness on his side because the devil knows that's going to lead us straight into our own faithlessness on our side of everything. And as I say, God and Joshua in our text here capture those two things together for us. God says, I took Abraham. I gave him Isaac. I gave him Jacob. I gave Esau his inheritance. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued your captors in Egypt. I brought you out to me. I brought you through the sea. I covered your enemies with flood. I brought you to the Jordan. I turned back your enemies, the Amorites, the Moabites. I did it. I brought you over the Jordan. I drove out the wicked nations before you. I gave you this land. God is most certainly faithful on his end. And so Joshua follows up in verse 14 with what just naturally flows for us by knowing that truth. Now, therefore, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Knowing that God is faithful on His end helps us to live out faithfulness to Him on our end. Knowing that God is faithful helps us to be faithful to Him. The covenant renewal in Joshua 24 here is Beautiful and and right. This is a good thing that we're reading. And it seems to work for a time while Israel stays mindful of God's faithfulness. But ultimately, by the time of the judges, it's become a cycle of of failure because, because the people keep forgetting God's faithfulness. And through that, they then become unfaithful themselves. You and I need to be wary in light of these warnings and these failures that just keep going off like alarm bells all through these scriptures we keep reading. We don't just want to sit above the Old Testament narrative, you know, kind of looking down on those people, we need to get into this and get this narrative into us and examine us. We ought to take the prompting from these scriptures to examine our own lives, a search to see that there are no other gods that we've been making in our lives. And that's no easy or or, or rapid procedure. But if you dwell again on these few pages we've looked at today and, and read a bit more in Judges, if you can, and your reading later on, you can You can actually do a pretty clean post-mortem on this failure of this covenant renewal in Joshua 24. And that post-mortem will give you uh, an in as to the prevention and the cure for, for this in our own situation. If we dwell on our God and his faithfulness to us, then we will find contentment for our faith in him. If we dwell and meditate on God and his faithfulness to us, then we find contentment for our faith in him. This scripture takes us into another perspective, too, on on this problem of sin that's been building all through our series. The question now is kind of stretched out a little bit. It's not simply now a matter of how and who of us are sinful. The other dimension opening up here is, is about who belongs to God. Because all of us are sinners, but some of us will belong to Yahweh, the faithful and forgiving God. Anyway, hold that thought for next week, and let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture, And the things we can see in this scripture today. Thank you for what you have told us here in Joshua 24. And that we can see so clearly that you want us to be your people. And you want to be our God. And yet also as we kept reading, Father, we see the truth of the human heart. Is that we are fickle in both our loyalty to you and and our trust of you underneath that. Forgive us for that, Father, and teach us, please. Teach us more and more that we can trust you at your word. Deepen our knowledge of your faithfulness. Strike it deep into our hearts and souls, Lord. And through that, please strengthen our faithfulness to you. Be kind and patient and gracious with us, please, in the process of that.